This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the legislature. Today, I'm Randy Yoey. A lengthy, heated, and partisan debate in the House this morning over border security in a resolution to support the state of Texas and full bipartisan support of the Speaker's Bill to help with groundbreaking disease-curing medical efforts at West Virginia University. Acknowledging and supporting the state of Texas highlighted a lengthy debate over House Concurrent Resolution 64, showing West Virginia's support for what Texas is doing and wants to do to secure its border with Mexico. An amendment proposed by Democrats would support the U.S. Congress as it continues to craft federal legislation regarding border security. With objections noting the executive branch take charge of border security, the amendment failed 12 to 81, but the resolution supporting Texas passed 94 to 0. In a rare occurrence, Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw, a Republican from Clay County, came down from the podium to speak to House Bill 5014. It calls for $2 million in funding for WVU's Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, where Hanshaw says the use of ultrasound to treat Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, PTSD, and more is ready for clinical trials. We have an opportunity to continue leading the world, not leading the nation, not leading the state, leading the world in delivering a groundbreaking treatment, a groundbreaking therapeutic technology that was published two weeks ago in the New England Journal of Medicine, the world's foremost journal for academic medicine, and deliver that technology to West Virginians who suffer from conditions that deserve our attention. House Bill 5014 passed 93 to 0 and now goes to the Senate. The Senate passed two rules bills today. One is headed to the House for consideration, the other to the governor's desk. Another bill that was held over for a day deals with air quality. Brianna Heaney has more on that. Bills are slowly and steadily filtering through the Senate as the legislature closed out its third full week in the 2024 session. Senate Bill 436 is due for third reading in the Senate next week, before it heads to the House for consideration. The bill relates to prohibiting intentional motor vehicle emissions that create hazards. Sponsor of the bill, Senator Jack Woodrum, a Republican from Summers County, says this is a public safety bill that outlaws a practice called rolling coal, where vehicles are modified to emit heavy black smoke emissions. Occasionally people tinker with emissions, which is a violation of federal law to create larger volumes of smoke coming out of a diesel engine. And I've been a victim of it myself to where I could not see the road or anything around me. And had I not known the highway, I potentially could have wrecked. There's been instances in other states where people have died. Prius owners are typically targeted, uh, bicyclists. That, that's the purpose of this. It's strictly for public safety. Uh, the bill doesn't address emission standards or anything like that, but that is already addressed uh, under federal regulations. Another bill progressing through the Senate is Senate Bill 504, which would create a felony offense for any school employee having sexual relations with a student in that school. 
Senate Bill 50, authorizing the Department of Revenue to promulgate legislative rules, was sent to the House for consideration. House Bill 4026, authorizing the Department of Administration to promulgate a legislative rule relating to state-owned vehicles, was passed and sent to the governor's desk. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Community and environmental groups testified Friday morning in a public hearing regarding House Bill 5018. The bill would limit how community air monitoring data could be used in court cases or to affect regulations. West Virginia's industrial and mining trade groups support the bill, but most people spoke in opposition. So we have to ask, what is the purpose of this bill? We should be encouraging communities to take a more active role in their own well-being not discouraging them by rejecting their findings and rendering their efforts useless. We should trust courts to decide when evidence is or isn't reliable. We are in no way against community monitoring, but also do not believe that environmental activist groups should become regulatory agencies. It is important to recognize that this bill, House Bill 5018, does not stop community air monitoring. Community air monitoring has occurred in the past and it will continue into the future. Community air monitoring enhances our understanding of local air quality by filling gaps in existing state and federal monitoring systems. These programs complement the work of the state and federal agencies like the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection by providing essential data to inform investigations that aid in the implementation of the Clean Air Act. This kind of engagement leads to informed decision making and advocacy for improved air quality regulations. Our federal and state governments have failed to install an adequate number of air monitors across our communities. So I'm proud to contribute to my community's knowledge by having my own air monitor. All West Virginians should be able to access air quality data that represents their local communities. West Virginia has one of the highest rates of heart disease, respiratory diseases, childhood asthma, and cancer. All of these diseases are directly impacted by our air quality. In our rural state with underfunded agencies, citizen scientists play an essential role in determining a complete picture of air quality and providing accurate data for analysis. We should welcome and encourage such citizen participation and thank those West Virginians who give of their time and their talent. DEP's resources are limited. They have 18 ambient air uh, quality monitor data across the state. This leaves large gaps uh, in, in information and data, and that's, as been said, where community monitor plays an important uh, role in providing information where people live. Legis the legislature and industry should be embracing community efforts as uh, some of the previous uh, speakers have noted, uh, there are only 18 air monitoring stations in the whole state. Um, I know there's one in Berkeley County. I live in Jefferson. There's one in Berkeley County, and I think you have to get probably to Randolph County before you find another one. There are huge gaps like that, uh, and uh, citizens can, can, can fill that void. Air monitors, known as purple air monitors, provide crucial information to empower the public to protect so that we can protect ourselves from bad air quality, especially in locations where the DEP does not have monitors. Low-income communities and communities of color are already vulnerable due to proximity to 
polluting industries, emitting fine particles, which include chemical plants, coal-fired power plants, fossil fuel drilling sites for oil and gas, mining sites, diesel fuel trucking companies, and asphalt and concrete plants, to name a few. It was homeschool day Friday at the Capitol. With HOPE scholarship funding and the legislature and administration advocating more school choice, homeschooling is a growing endeavor, but not without some basic education and safety concerns. Parent Heidi Rice, a board member of the West Virginia Home Education Association, says her children are among about 20,000 in the state being homeschooled. Rice says she and many others can do it better teaching at home than in a public school classroom. We get to guide our children in what they're learning about. You know, there's, th there's things that go on, personal preference, personal choice, that are being taught in the system that I don't agree with, or our family doesn't agree with, or that don't align with us, and we have the freedom of teaching them what we want them to learn. Homeschool instructors only need a high school diploma to teach. They're not required to have any education training. Their progress is assessed once a year by a certified educator who simply reviews a portfolio with no grading requirements. Delegate Jeff Stevens, a Republican from Marshall County, is a public school eighth grade teacher with concerns over possibly inferior home education. And I'm concerned sometimes that uh, the parents that are homeschooling maybe aren't qualified or there's no oversight uh, with what they do at the home. Uh, I know that we've passed laws here to allow homeschooling. Uh, it's not like I'm totally against it. I just think that they should have oversight just like we do. I'm not even asking for it to be the same. I'm just asking for there to be a little oversight. Rice says no more regulations are needed, advocating a parent's right to homeschool their children as they see fit. We know what's good for our children just as much as the lady that we're paying to teach them at school when we might not know anything about them. You know, we raise our children on a daily basis, whether they're sending home homework or their work with them or we're going over it. We know what they're doing, so why are we not capable of training up our child the way that we think they should be trained up? Delegate Elliot Pritt, a Republican from Fayette County, is also a public school teacher, with concerns over abuse of truancy issues by using homeschooling to avoid discipline. I've heard from truancy officers in Fayette County and other counties across the state, there are issues with kids starting to become truant with their parents pulling them to homeschool them just to handle the truancy issue. You know, I have a concern that when that happens, there's actually no education going on at home. Because if the parent doesn't care enough to actually send them to school, they're not going to care enough to actually teach them at home. Stevens and Pritt also have concerns over the safety and well-being of some homeschool students. And I also have a concern about like what happened with, uh, you know, the, the child in Nicholas County that was pulled to Fayette County and then pulled to homeschool and, and she was abused and killed by her parents. And so, when kids are pulled to homeschool, there has to be some kind of um, way to double check and make sure that these kids are okay from time to time. Rice admits there may be a few bad apples using homeschooling for the wrong reasons, but she says the overwhelming majority of homeschool parents are properly exercising their constitutional rights. I'm not going to say that that's not a thing because that would be a lie. Have I encountered anybody that I think is just floating away? No, I have not personally, and I've been doing this for seven years. State law says homeschooling families must give annual assessments but only report results for grades 3, 5, 8, and 11 to their county. Then it's up to the county to ensure assessment results are shared as required. This week for the legislature today, our high school reporters looked at a couple of bills that were of particular interest to them and to other high school and college-age students around the state. I'll let them take it from there. 
Hello, West Virginia. I am Ben Velo. And I'm Amir Mustafa. And as we move into the fourth week of the legislative session, we wanted to discuss bills that are currently being debated that affect students. As these bills pass through the legislature, we thought we would highlight how they impact our day-to-day -day lives. To kick things off, we will look at Senate Bill 243. This was introduced by Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican who represents Jefferson County. After the bill's introduction, it was referred to the Committee on Education and then to the Judiciary Committee. The purpose of this bill is to provide for a one-minute moment of silence at the beginning of each school day where students are free to meditate, pray, or do any other silent activity. This bill prevents teachers from being able to discuss what students engage in during the moment of silence. The vagueness of what students can do in the one-minute moment of silence is purposeful, mostly due to the idea of separation of church and state. Supreme Court case Engel v. Vital established that, quote, the state cannot hold prayers in public schools, even if the participation is not required and the prayer is not tied to a particular religion. Moving on to Senate Bill 404, which was introduced by Senator Laura Chapman, a Republican from Ohio County and sponsored by Senators Deeds, Carnes, and Woodrum. The purpose of this bill is to direct the State Board of Education to create a social media safety curriculum for students in grades 6 through 12. This would address issues like mental health impacts, misinformation, and cyberbullying. This bill would also implement an internet safety policy limiting students' access to social media through school networks, with an emphasis on secure and positive usage. Finally, House Bill 4186. Introduced by Delegate Jonathan Pinson, a Republican from Mason County, this bill proposes a new state test. The purpose of this bill is to require each high school student to get at least an 85% on a test on the United States Constitution as a requirement to graduate from high school. What's important to note here is that there is no mention of improving our civics education system or providing professional learning opportunities for civics teachers who are responsible for engaging students with this content. This means that elected officials are relying on classes already available to students to help them pass the exam. All of these bills affect students, yet there are no students in the state legislature. Because of this, we decided to put high schoolers in the position of one of these elected officials to let them vote. Here are the results of the informal survey we created and distributed to teachers across the state. All responses are anonymous. This is not scientific, but it gives us an idea about where students stand on these three bills. 77% of students voted for the one-minute moment of silence in schools, leaving 23% against Bill 243. A majority of students also felt that the social media safety curriculum would improve the schools with a 60% voting for Senate Bill 404. In contrast, students were quick to vote against the Constitution test. A whopping 85% of students decided to vote against House Bill 4186. If your school would like to be part of this survey, your principal can contact education at wvpublic.org to request the link. We will update the voting as more responses are received. So join us next week when we'll be focusing more on bills regarding the education system as a whole. As always, I'm Amira Mustafa. And I'm Ben Velo. For the legislature today. On Fridays, we often like to speak with reporters from other news organizations to get a perspective on what they're seeing at the legislature. Today, Brianna Haney and I are joined in our Capitol Street studio by Stephen Allen Adams, the state government reporter for Ogden Newspapers. You know, many are saying that this 2024 legislative session is getting off to a slow start, but there are a number of issues and proposals and bills that affect uh, your wallet, your family, your health, your data. And, and we're going to try to clip through some of them here with Stephen Allen Adams from Ogden Newspapers and our uh, Senate reporter, Bree Heaney. Thanks for all of you, us to be here today. Thanks for having me. Um, 
Stephen, let's start out with you on, on drug test strips. Uh, how does this affect the public? Sure. Well, the governor just today, just this afternoon, signed that bill. It's Senate Bill 269. Uh, it specifically allows for and decriminalizes drug test strips. And what we mean by that are strips that you can use uh, to detect different types of other drugs within drugs, such as if, uh, if you're looking for marijuana, if you're trying to find traces of, say, fentanyl, or the newer drug, azilazine, uh, which is uh, starting to grow in the state, uh, you can use these test strips to look and test to see if those things are in there, and it helps prevent you from having a lethal or dangerous drug overdose. So it really is a bill that's been kind of quiet, but it can really save some lives. Another safety factor that goes along with naloxone and such uh, when you're talking about illegal drugs but trying to keep people alive. That's exactly it because as you know and as I think most of the viewers know, I mean West Virginia has been in the throes of a drug overdose crisis now for some time which was kind of subsiding and then when COVID hit it sent it spiking back up. So we are now in a situation where those numbers are coming back down but if we can do anything to prevent that now obviously Narcan helps in that regard but you're already having the overdose at that point. It's harm reduction but it's harm reduction up front and I think again it can save lives and perhaps keep people alive long enough to get treatment. Bree, let's jump around a little bit. You've been looking at something that has to do with rolling coal. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, a bill is um, slated for third reading next week, and um, that would make it illegal for um, people to have um, modified, um, modified devices on their vehicles that emits black smoke essentially okay. so it emits like those big clouds of black smoke which can be really dangerous to other drivers to um bicyclists it's it's actually federally already illegal um but this would slap on another state law um specifically targeting those um those things and it's called rolling coal there's actually no coal um involved right. at all it's just um emitting like this black smoke emission that that creates a a safety hazard on the roads. You have a little more insight on that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where you see this if you're driving in your car anywhere, and if you've got your windows down, if you have your vents open, I mean, you're breathing this in. It's really done more or less just to be for show, uh, but people don't really realize just how toxic that can be, especially when it's just right in your face. So hopefully legislation like this can certainly kind of help curtail that. I thought it was interesting that there was a resolution uh, uh, put forth this week by Delegate Kaylee Young uh, regarding reproductive freedom for women. You know, we've, we've been pretty strict on these abortion bans that we've seen from last session and, and what Young's resolution says is let's put it to, to a constitutional amendment. And they cite Ohio, our next door neighbor, that also has the same restrictive abortion laws, but they put it on an amendment, 57 People, percent of the people said yes, and it circumvents th that amendment. Uh, the problem is, could we get two-thirds of both the House and Senate with this supermajority of Republicans to vote for it? That's going to be a hard thing, but I will tell you, he if you can remember a few years ago, we had a constitutional amendment on the ballot to put language in our state constitution saying that there's no state right to an abortion. However, that passed or rather was adopted by the voters very narrowly. Uh, I can't remember offhand how narrow it was, but it was more narrow than you would think in a conservative state. So 
it's possible that you were to put such a, a thing that you're talking about up for a vote uh, on the ballot, say in the general election. I think uh, voters might have different opinions on it. Point being, will it even get out of committee? And who, and who knows? I there? mean, abortion has not been a has not been a winning strategy for um, a lot of Republicans, and I think that a lot of Republicans are taking a second look at you know what their what their platforms stance might be on that you know we're talking a lot this year about data and an ai i mean we, now we now have a committee on artificial intelligence that has promoted a digital wallet and, and you have some insights Stephen, on data privacy that's right uh, the house tech committee uh recommended a bill that they had tried to do last year uh there was no movement for it but the speaker, uh, Hanshaw, is very much on board with trying to come up with ways to protect data, allow people to be able to opt out of data collection uh, and to be able to regulate that a little bit better. States are starting to do it. There's a hodgepodge of regulations on it, though, right now. So that's an area that they're trying to really get some movement on. And again, how speaker's pushing it. So Once we found out that, uh, that our own state government had major challenges with saving emails and they've gone <laughs> right. through a whole tumult regarding that they said well maybe the rest of the state needs to have some safeguards as well yeah and this um, the Senate passed Senate bill 477 which would take um, health care workers home addresses and personal cell phone numbers off of state websites they are currently a lot of their their licenses have their home addresses attached to that license and all of that information is available online and um, Senate Bill 477 would take their home addresses off of online, which would protect their safety in some cases. I think if data is, is one touchstone, then oversight is one definite touchstone and buzzword for, for this session. Uh, talk about oversight when maybe it comes to our health department and some critical incident reviews. Yeah, so um, the, uh, the Senate passed a bill, um, Senate Bill 474, um, that would create an incident review team for um, what was formerly part of DHHR is now DHS. Um, I talked to um, Senator Wolfel about that, and he says that this would look into cases of um, a incident with a child or a death of a child who is under the care of DHS or has been under the care of DHS for the last, like within the last 12 months. He says this is not a punitive step, but that it's a remedial step to address tragedies that have happened in the past under DHSS's supervision. Sure. Uh, and there's already a bill that's out of the House, it's in the Senate now, uh, dealing with the Oversight Commission for Health and Human Resources and the ability to have closed door hearings with state health officials when it comes to the death of children in state custody, when it comes to adult protective services. Uh, real sensitive cases that are already not public. That's, uh, I think, some of the confusion that it might be allowing them to hear some things that are meant for the public to hear, and it's not. Uh, but we'll give those committee members the ability to hear what's going on and develop legislation to try to help the agency and try to prevent some of these things happening in the future. So I think both bills are kind of companions in a way. Springboarded after this serious incident in Sissonville with the kids in the barn and then the questions that how many times did uh, social workers go to this place and the DHHR wouldn't talk about it then and so that's why we're seeing a lot more of these oversight pushes and it looks like a lot of those will pass as well. Um, 
jails. Uh, we're, we've got, we still have situations where we see that the numbers of, of, of uh, uniformed officers are, are starting to get filled, but some of the people that aren't in uniform uh, still need some pay raises. That's right. The House Jails Committee just yesterday passed out a bill to provide non-uniformed correctional staff in our jails and prisons a pay raise beginning with if you've been there for three years you get three percent and if you're someone that just got hired or less than three years once you hit that three-year mark you'll get that three percent bump as well they did a bonus during the special session in august the one-time bonus but this is meant to circle back around and help them uh since we already help correctional officers yeah we had some people that were working there 15 years they were only getting 250 dollars extra when we saw some brand new people getting 6k so trying to even things out a little bit and, and Bree, you've been dealing with something with uh, uh, LNG, liquid national, natural gas, and we know we're a natural gas state. Yeah, liquefied natural gas. Um, Senator, Senate President Craig Blair um, held the Senate's first press meeting um, this session to um, discuss it, President Biden's pause on new permits for, um, for liquefied natural gas. Um, he was saying that this will is going to hurt West Virginia's and is hurting West Virginia's energy economy. However, um, it's really unclear the effect that it actually has on West Virginia's energy economy. What is clear is that um, liquefied natural gas actually drives up the cost for natural gas prices in the state um, for most consumers of of natural gas. Something that we're going to be watching. We're, thanks for you guys for being here. We're going to keep an eye on all this here on our reporter roundtables. This one was for Groundhog's Day. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Randy Yoey for everyone here at WVPB. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.